We're winding down our, our True Crimes of the Bible uh, series we have this week and then next week yet. Uh, and tonight, uh, we get to see another unlikely person who's put in a position uh, to win the victory for Israel. We're back in the judges tonight uh, as we see the story of a woman named Jael tonight. I'm going to guess that maybe that name doesn't ring a bell right away with many of you. As much as I'm thankful for all of the people who have taught Sunday school throughout the ages, those of you that have attended Sunday school probably can remember some of your teachers. I bet as you've read scripture, you've noticed that there just are certain stories that you did not learn in Sunday school. Maybe because they were a little difficult to explain, maybe because they were a little gory, or maybe it was kind of embarrassing for the teacher to talk about those kind of things with small children in a Sunday school. But tonight's story is one of those stories that usually is not covered in Sunday school. And as we take a look at it tonight, again, we get to see God's hand of blessing and rescue, even in some trying and difficult circumstances. So tonight we're going to talk about a woman by the name of J.L. from Judges chapter 4. And, and there's information about her in Judges chapter 5 too, when the song of Deborah uh, is, is recorded there for us. But I want to set the stage for what's going to happen in chapter 4. So we're going to read the first nine verses of Judges chapter 4. Uh, they'll be on the screen. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth Hegeim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's, Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. I realize as you read through those nine verses, there's an awful lot of names and places and things in there. So to hopefully simple, simple, simplify it just a little bit for you, I put a little map on the board. Maybe you can recognize by the shape, this little sea right here, that's the Sea of Galilee. And so the area that we're talking about is not too far from where Jesus lived in his day uh, in Nazareth. And so what we have is this commander, Barak, who is coming from Naphtali, which is just north here of Zebulun. And he's going to gather 10,000 troops and head over here to Mount Tabor. And then God is going to lure Sisera from this area over here in the Kishon River into the valley here. And then we'll see what kind of victory God is going to amazingly provide for the people of Israel. But, but I want to backtrack just a little bit to those first nine verses and show you again the cycle. We talked about this a couple weeks ago if you were here when we talked about Ehud, uh, the judge in Judges chapter 3. 
And, and the cycle is repeated again here. We see, first of all, that there's rebellion. The, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, and then next comes this repression where, where God hands them over. This time the original language actually sells, says he sells them. Sells them into the hand of, well, two people are mentioned. King Jabin of Canaan. And then his commander, Sisera. Why is Sisera mentioned? Well, I think it has to do with the cruelty with which he oppressed the Israelites and the strength that he had in 900 iron chariots. I don't know really how to relate that to war, modern warfare, but I suppose today that would be like having way more tanks than the other team, the other side, right? These are ways that you can go into battle with quickness and with some extra protection. And so the Israelites couldn't stand against those 900 chariots, iron chariots of Sisera. And, and then we're told God did what he does so well. When the people cried out to him in repentance, he raised up for them a judge, a rescuer. This time, she's identified for us as Deborah. And we're told that she's judging Israel and, and again, as we read through this account, she's doing a couple different things. She actually is holding court. People are coming to her to have their disputes settled. But then she, when she encourages Barak to go into battle because God is going to give him the victory over Sisera, he gets some cold feet. He says, well, I don't know if I want to go, um, but if you go with me, I'll go. And she agrees to go. I'm not sure why, because the Bible doesn't tell us. Was, was Barak afraid? Uh, was he kind of complacent in all the things that had been going on in Israel? We're not sure, but what Deborah says to him next is this. Because of his hesitancy, because of the course that he was taking, the honor in the battle was going to belong to someone else. And in this case, God promises that the honor will belong to a woman. Let's see what the crime is all about. We'll look at, well, oh, that's right. I forgot I was going to talk about how many of your cars look like that. <laughs> okay, yep. That's the, that's the uh, struggle of driving a car in Wisconsin, isn't it? Uh, the combination of the winter and the wet and the salt tends to eat away at the metal of our cars. And, and, and that it becomes important in this story because this is how God wins the victory. So he lures Sisera into the valley through the Kishon River. And then chapter 5, when we hear Deborah's song, she tells us exactly what happened. The clouds opened up and their earth shook with thunder and the rains poured down. And I don't know exactly what the worst enemy of an iron chariot is, but water has to be pretty high on the list. Because what happened is those chariots got stuck in the mud and they did them absolutely no good. And what it actually allowed was the people of Israel to gain the upper hand and, and defeat the enemy, the Canaanites. But one person got away. And that's where the crime comes in tonight. Verses 17 to 21. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. 
Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes by and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. How many of you have ever heard this story before? Okay, we have a few. Good. Some of you are like, oh, wow, what happened? Yeah, it's hard to believe, isn't it, that this is how God brought about a victory? It's hard to just wrap your mind around that someone would do this. And, and, and the question, I guess, becomes this. If we think about the crime that is committed tonight, it again is a matter of whose thought process we're looking at. Is it really murder? Well, the first thing I think we have to say is it's not self-defense. He's sleeping. He's not a threat to her at all. He thinks there's some sort of alliance, Sisera does, between his, her husband and him, and so he's perfectly fine. She kind of breaks all the rules of hospitality as well. Not only was there alliance, an alliance, but if you brought somebody into your home, it was your responsibility, your duty to take care of them. And then I think we can go one step further as well. She chose an extreme method, a method that was extremely violent to end the life of Sisera. Again, to the Canaanites, I suppose, because Deborah says so in her song, to Sisera's mother, this was murder. This was someone who had taken the life of her son, of their beloved commander. But that's not how God saw it. As a matter of fact, it's how God provides deliverance. This is the woman that Deborah was talking about that the glory in battle would belong to. And in her song in chapter 5, Deborah actually prays that Jael would be blessed because of what she had done. Let's take a look at the aftermath a little bit in verses, chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. We've talked about this before. It's kind of the last step in everything that happened in this cycle that repeats in the judges. But this was now the period of rest and peace that God gave to the people of Israel. Victory was won because Jael had taken matters into her own hands and used, well, could I say, the tent peg that was the final nail in the coffin of the Canaanites? Ooh, that was a groaner. Sorry. But that's what she did. And God gave the victory and it resulted in peace for the people of Israel. So why do we want to talk about a story like this? What does it have to do with you and me? And what encouragement or comfort can we find from that? Have you noticed as you read through scripture how many stories of rescue there are in the Bible? And then when those stories of rescue come up, how many times the person who God raises up to be the rescuer is kind of an unlikely hero. Somebody you wouldn't expect. Like who would ever have thought that J.L., who wasn't a part of the original battle, would be the one that we would be talking about tonight to whom the glory of the battle belonged. But here's the thing. Every one of those stories in the Bible of rescue are meant to direct our eyes to the greatest rescue that God provided for us. 
the rescue from sin, the rescue that he sent Jesus to accomplish for us. See, Jesus is the ultimate rescuer, and his hands were pierced with nails, his head was pierced with a crown of thorns, and on that cross, Jesus crushed the head of Satan. He defeated sin in your place and mine. And now death holds no power over us anymore. In the words of the hymn, In Christ Alone, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. That's the joy that we have in an account like this. How God raises up an unlikely hero is a picture of Jesus. The one who looked like nothing to the people of this world, who was mocked, who was spit at, but ultimately demonstrated his power in defeating sin and death in our place. A couple things to take away from our story tonight. Number one, God gives us every reason to be courageous in our faith. Deborah is a great example of that courage. To Joshua, God said this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And number two, God often uses the most unlikely people to bring about his rescue plan. Think about how he sent his son to this earth. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 4, When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. I don't know. You can think about it for yourself, but, but what is it in your life that you could equate to the 900 iron chariots that Sisera commanded? Are those things in your life that, that make you a little bit hesitant, afraid? Maybe it's being a witness to other people, friends and family members who need to hear the truth about Jesus the Savior. Maybe it's worried, being worried a little bit about how other people are going to think about you when they find out that you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe something else is causing you fear and anxiety. But remember, remember the one who dismantled 900 chariots with a rainstorm. Remember the one who destroyed sin and death by his sacrifice on the cross. And then remember this truth. God's promise to you, if he is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the goodness that you demonstrate to us every single day. You have rescued us, rescued us from the sin that so easily entangles and you give us the gift of eternal life. Help us to cherish that. Give us the courage to, to be bold witnesses to your love for us and give us the joy of knowing that our place in heaven with you is secure. Watch over our students as we've now reached the middle of the semester. Uh, continue to give them your blessing through all of their studies and their work and, and all the things that they're involved in. Let them find joy in the gifts that you've given them and then let those gifts serve you and others. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.